I call some things divine, intimate moments, dims. <laughs> dims, and little interruptions, sometimes they're large, sometimes they're paradigm shifts. Obviously, we come in remembrance of when our Christ entered into Jerusalem. Now, the date is uncertain, and I very much doubt that we have it right on our calendars, according to my understanding, but it doesn't matter. The reason is, why did he enter? Why did he choose to come the way he came? And how did the momentum, the faith, the vision of the moment and the people, how did it get lost so quickly? Just a matter of days. From the one who they called the Messiah, Hosanna, the King of the Kings coming in, the Redeemer, their Rescuer, the Son of God, to the one they cried out, Crucify. How did it happen and change so quickly? How did everything change so quickly from what began a year of 2020? How many people gave a prophetic mission that this is the year of the vision. I don't think they envisioned this vision, but they were somewhat right. It is the year of the vision because it sounded right about eyesight. But you're not going to see it with your eyes. You're not going to hear it with your ears. It has to be known in your heart. And as we dig deep to deep for the hidden things of God and call upon Him, we realize that it's is a greater dim. This is indeed a divine interruption. As I've ministered the last few weeks, this is a pause. The Lord has taken His finger and He's paused the spin of the busyness of the earth. That we might be in a season of Yom Kippur, a season of atonement, a season of repentance, a season of getting close back to Him. Let's prepare our hearts. We're going to have communion today, but before that I want to give you a brief message. Something that I believe will help us have some understanding about the time we're in and, and the deliverance that the Lord is doing and wants to do if our hearts aren't too hard. So get your elements. I'm going to make my way to the podium. Get your bread, get your juice. A friend that I love very much, lives in Hubbard, Ohio, he called me, he said, we had communion with you. He said, when I looked in my refrigerator, he said, all I had was prune juice, so I had communion with prune juice. I said, well, that'll deliver you for sure. <laughs> get what you got. Just get what you got and get ready. And in a short while, not right away, we're going to have communion. And we're going to partake of it together wherever you're at. But with this particular communion, we're going to believe God for deliverance. Because the ultimate persuasion of Jesus Christ, the ultimate of everything He does, is deliverance. Is deliverance.
thank you. Well, I know you can't do it, but we can do it right here. Uh, our staff and the few people that are accumulated here, we're about 20 spread out all over the place um, doing different functions to bring you this broadcast. And uh, we're not looking for an exemption as a church. We're not playing that political game. We're not worried about that. And we're abiding uh, by the rules of what is supposedly what we're supposed to do. We're good with that. But we're also a broadcast network, and we're broadcasting around the world, and so we do have that exemption. Um, I think we'd do it anyway, but we're honored to come. I want to just give a shout-out to a few people, and there's so many that have come down with this corona disease, and so many others I've heard about have had other problems and diseases that too often we don't pay attention to that are by numbers so much greater than this particular number, but we want to thank God for the recovery of Deputy Sheriff Patrick, whom thousands of you prayed for, and by the grace of God, he had a pretty quick recovery, I believe. I hope he's out of the hospital. The words we got, he was doing well, and we thank God for that and a fireman that God touched and helped. We have some people that are critical. Karen's mom up in New York, we pray for her right now that God blesses her. And one of the sons of the house who calls me Uncle Frank, we love him dearly, Joshua Green, who is right now in New York Presbyterian Hospital. And I uh, was able to, to communicate with him this morning, and we know God's going to get him right out of there. He loves the Lord, and his mom, Pamela, and his uncle is right here with us, Jeff Green. We pray for them. So many people to pray for. We have family members that have been touched by corona ourselves, but they're recovering. They're fine. And the bottom line is this. I'm going to ask you a question right now, a tough question. And part of what I had written out was how do we get clarity with all of the voices that are speaking out to us right now? Which ones do we listen to? And it's a lot of confusion. And as would be, we run to the voices that sound like the ones that have an answer for us. Is that not true? We're the ones that follow the last voice we hear oftentimes. And we have a lot to do with our time, and unfortunately, too, too many are watching the regurgitated news over and over and over. The governor of New York seems a, like a nice guy, but I've seen enough of him for a while. And the governor of Ohio's a wonderful guy. I've seen enough of him for a while. And we support our president, and we thank God for the medical doctors with them, but I've seen enough of them for a while. And I'm tired of watching the clock of how many are adding on where at and wherever they're at and how many died and how many recovered and this is a magical mystery cure and this one and that one and don't wear masks and do wear masks and everybody is sort of just flipping around and wondering what's going on. Well, let me tell you what's going on. As we said last week, God has separated us for a moment like this. He separated us from the busyness of the world. Whether we agreed or didn't agree doesn't matter. God did it. 
And then we received political decrees that said, stay home. Other ones that gave us these social dysfunctions of don't touch, keep your distance. Let's destroy and keep back relationship. Loved ones dying in the hospitals that nobody can go to. Shut-ins in the basement who are tested positive away from their families. People being sanctioned and separated in their own homes from places. This modern generation has never seen such a thing. I want to talk to you for a moment about some of the reasons why God would allow there to be this particular plague. Now, one person I adore very much, she asked me, well, if God sent it or God allowed it, then why would you say that it's satanic? Well, first of all, we understand that God is sovereign. And that's the point where I want us to leave it at. If God is sovereign, then we don't have to understand all of his ways. How did God do this? How did God do that? I do recall, as I was discussing with a dear friend earlier this week, what the choices God gave David. When David had numbered the army in disobedience to God and was looking for strength in himself and in his numbers and in the power of his own might, of how he might do war or be prepared for war or prepare his military or promote people, all of those national standards. God was angered because he had told him not to. And in that point of law, there was a judgment that came upon him. And so when God said to him, you are about to be judged, he said, what would you prefer? Would you prefer that I turn you over to the evil one and let him sift you? Or would you prefer that I deal with you. And David said, oh God, you deal with me because you have grace and mercy. I find it very interesting as we consider what has come upon the earth that we look at this moment of Passover. Passover celebrates the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Well, the absolute deliverer was Jesus himself. His name actually means salvation and redemption, and in Hebrew it's Goel Hadam. It's a deliverer, a Gael. Moses was a type of Christ, but the power and force behind Moses and Aaron, of course, was Jesus the Redeemer. And Jesus, the Redeemer, is calling out and crying right now. There was one rabbinical study that I was reading this week. And that rabbi said that one of the reasons why the Lord sent ten plagues, and they're really not ten plagues, they're plagues and signs and wonders, but we call them the plagues. The reason he sent 
so many of them in such a condensed time. It's not certain what the time was. Some say a matter of 30 to 50 days, others say seven months, but they were back to back. Some were in duration of one night, three nights of darkness, the blood turning to water, and ultimately the killing of the firstborn. But this rabbi gave a very significant opinion about why. He said that it was necessary for God to continue to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Have you ever wondered how a gracious and merciful God said, I'm going to harden his heart so that I can show my glory? Can you imagine Moses as each one of these wonders and signs and plagues took place? And he said, this is the one. This will do it. They've got frogs jumping out of their pillows and into their shoes. They can't walk out on the streets without squishing a frog. Everywhere they go, there's frogs. They open their cabinets, frogs. The blood turning to water. They can't drink water. Surely that one's going to do it. And by the way, three nights of dark, gross darkness. That has to do it. They're surely going to turn their heart. And God said, no, I'm going to keep hardening his heart. Why? Locusts. All of the things that fell upon Egypt. And all of Egypt. All of Egypt subject to the decision of one hard, calloused, ungodly man who called himself a god. This Pharaoh. This one, this one that God didn't forget, who determined when he was concerned that the Hebrews were going to be too many, they were populating and multiplying. They started off with a mere 70, and they grew into a big nation, and yes, they were part of the subculture, and they performed many different services at the lowest level of the rung in that social class. So, what was his remedy? He told the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, the ones who helped to bring forth the children that were populating, multiplying, he decreed this to them. Kill the males as they come out. Spare the daughters. Interesting. Why spare the daughters? So that they may have relationships with other Egyptians and dilute the calling of the people of God. Ultimately, that was the spiritual requirement. But the midwives feared God, the word tells us. They feared God. Stop for a moment. They feared the Lord. And so, the male children were delivered, no matter what, physically and spiritually, the promise of those children, the promise of God was in those children. And when Pharaoh got upset and summoned them to him and he said, why didn't you listen to me? Why did you disobey my command? And they told a little smudgy of a lie. <laughs> they said, these Jewish women are tough. They forbear and the and the, and the boys come out sooner. We can't stop them. Before we know it, we go to deliver them according to the normal cycle, and the, the baby has arrived.
And it says that God favored them because they feared him more than the edict of Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh had his own religion. It was part of his government, part of his structure. It was all one. It wasn't different. What Pharaoh said went. Pharaoh was the ultimate voice. And anybody who didn't do what Pharaoh said was dealt with harshly. It became a religion, a government religion. And the Hebrews, somehow in a peculiar way, were in it, but not completely enveloped in it, but they were about to be consumed. Beloved, the body of Christ has been being consumed. I was looking through some of my notes and sermons and op-eds and things, and Jim sent me something I wrote before the election in 2008. I looked at it. I said, oh, my God, what I cautioned came true. I forgot it myself. And I was watching through these notes after a conversation with a friend on the telephone late a couple nights ago who was inspiring me to come forth with the deeper truths. I was amazed at some of the things that even I said that had become a little distant in my own spirit and heart. One of them had to do with a vision that I had very clearly. It was in 2015, <laughs> just before the man who's our president now announced that he was going to run. Just before the Lord told me he would be the next president. I didn't know him, didn't like him, didn't want him. Thought truly there's somebody better. Somebody different. But this is what I saw. I saw it so clearly. It was one of those things that started out with a dream, but it kept going when I awakened and I saw the vision. And, and I was in a blue outfit. And I realized that this was an outfit of somebody who was called in a priestly form to cry out. And I was in a home, and it wasn't my home. And I don't know why I was there, but it was clearly a home. And all of a sudden, a few small soldiers dressed in some kind of, of garment to protect them. They had on masks and and, and wardrobes, and they were all in red, and they had a little tank in the back that was strange with a weapon. And they were coming, and they were applying something to the highest point of each home, a ceiling. And it was enticing. It looked like something that a child would have to touch just because it was different, or somebody cleaning in a house would want to remove because it didn't belong there or you would touch it to taste it and see what it was, or for whatever reason, it had a lure to it. And I went to go touch it. And the Lord said, don't. I said, why, my God? And he lifted me up, and he took me to some, another home, and there were these strange men, small, which I now realize are demonic, all in red garbs, military garbs, 
themselves protected, but applying this stuff to homes, home to home to home. And I said, my God, what is it? He said, son, this is the spirit of delusion that I said would come upon the earth, and it's being applied now. Hmm. Six years ago, what's the number of man? What's the number of flesh? Six. Do you know if you look at statistics, I don't know why I do these things. I, I just do them. I think it's probably that one class I hated the most that I had to take in philosophy that was statistics. I couldn't stand it. And I wasn't very good at it because I didn't try to be, but I got enough of it to understand the power of statistics. We have statistics about everything, and Pew, P-E-W, that does statistics about faith here in this country. You know what it said? That since that time when I saw that vision, that Christians have been fallen by the wayside. Attendance in churches has been going. It used to be four times a week, then two, then one. <laughs> this generation, this new generation, has a very strong element. Almost 40% that says they don't believe in God or they're agnostic or they don't want to follow the paths of their fathers and children. But the Lord said this would happen. And he said something would have to happen for the spirit of Elijah to be cried out again to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. I wondered for a long time, what is that? And now I see it clearly. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that even people that don't know God, they're saying, well, I'm learning how to spend time with my family. Laura Lee and I had an interesting encounter with our neighbor, whom we don't get to talk to that often, and she was bringing me a soda pop because I was cutting my grass and praying. Yeah, I'm a little crazy. I enjoy my time on my zero-turn lawnmower, cutting the grass and praying. Something about the odor of the grass, you're accomplishing something, you don't have to really focus and think about it, and you're in the sun, and you're just praying along. And there came my beautiful wife with a soda pop concerned that I'm going to dehydrate. And I said, no, no, I've got water. So she lifts it up to my neighbor. And she goes like this. And he comes running over. He says, no, I have water. And we begin a conversation. And out of our conversation, we ask him, how are you doing? You're getting to the grocery store. He said, oh, I used to own three grocery stores. Wish I owned one now. <laughs> And he says, now I get there. But he says, you know what? I'm enjoying my life. I said, really? That's wonderful. What's going on? He said, I'm enjoying being a father. My children are at home being homeschooled now. They're on computers and I'm monitoring their homework and I'm enjoying it. Turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Children are calling parents. How are you? I can't see you, but... How are you? And parents are calling children and other people's children and children's children. And how are you? And everybody's saying, 
There's a little silver lining. My daughter Carissa wrote me that this morning. There's a little silver lining in all of this. No, sweetheart, there's a big silver lining in all of this. And it's that we turn our hearts back to Jesus. Pharaoh, I'd feel sorry for him, except that what got God really angry, yes, he said, I hear the cries of the people trying to make bricks with no straw. I hear all of this stuff. He said, I have respect for them. I hear their cries. But really got him? He said, I'm going to deal harshly with Pharaoh because he tried to kill my firstborn Israel. Hmm. You really want to see what pushes God's button to make hearts hard and bring judgment? Kill the children. Oddly enough, when I first started giving you a world, world honor clap clock, let me say it again, world ometer clock. There, I got it. A worldometer clock. When I first started to watch it, to, to bring these messages, and of course I've been sensitive to the unborn and abortion for a long time. And once I got close to beloved Elvita King, I mean it's contagious. It's like everything you live for, bless her heart. And Father Frank, I like him because we have the same name. Father Frank and Elvita, leading a cause with Alan Parker, who's a dear friend, and taking it judicially to the Supreme Court. And here we are bringing it from the altar of bloodletting of children to the altar of the blood of Jesus Christ, asking him for repentance. And the Lord's reminding us at this time, you want to know what I'm really angry about? Yes, I'm angry about sin and lawlessness. Billy Graham nailed it last night. I'm sorry, Franklin Graham on the television when the news media was asking him, why did God let this happen? Everybody wants to blame God. Why did God let this happen? Well, let me ask you a question. Why did you let it happen? Why did I let it happen? God hasn't changed. God gets angry when you kill his children. And he hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Not once, not twice, ten times. And the meter kept going up with judgments and plagues and signs and wonders and shakings. And it kept getting compressed until finally God said, okay, I'm going to take your firstborn. Pharaoh never did get it. He only got it for a day. And then he pursued Moses to his death. I'm afraid to tell you people in this earth aren't going to get it before Jesus comes. Not everybody. If you're listening to me, here's the clarion call. What's a clarion call? It's a call that's above and beyond for action. The clarion call is this. Repent. Repent. Repent for the sins of our generations. Repent. And don't quit repenting. Don't fall into the trap that says we live in righteousness. Yes, I don't have to keep repenting for my sins and my sins and my sins. But guess what? The sin of abortion continues on and on and on and on and on. You can't repent it for once and ask God to have mercy the next one. 
15 babies in the world being murdered every 10 seconds. When I started with the worldometer, it was about 8 million some. That was just a month ago, six weeks ago. It's over 10 million. How many coronavirus in the earth? A million? They don't know because China lies. I said that too. Somebody called me a conspiracist theory. I want to say hi to Will Summer from Deadly Beast. Will, you misquoted me. Now quote me the right way. <laughs> I like you. I thought we had a good dialogue, but you were being sneaky. But that's okay. God knows. Now quote me the right way, Will. I was right, wasn't I? I was right. Everything I said about China, I said they're lying now. More people are dying. Well, all of a sudden, they shut down another whole city. They lied about everything, including where this biological germ came from. Not a bat. The worldometer continues on. Babies keep dying. God said, I shall harden the heart of Pharaoh. Well, you know what this rabbi said? Oh, he's so wise. <laughs> He said he had to compress. He didn't have to just compress so that people would begin to believe in God and see how awesome he was, but they would break forth from their hundreds of years of tradition and slavery and bondage and thinking that's where they needed to be. The Hebrew people were being absorbed into a false religion and a false culture. They didn't even know that God heard them when they cried out anymore. They didn't have a personal relationship with God. They were just crying out because they had nowhere else to go. Well, guess what? A lot of people are crying out to God right now with no personal relationship because they have nowhere else to go. And the prayer is, deliver me, deliver us from corona, and I want my paycheck back. <laughs> Today on my way here, I think I saw one car. There's a white BMW, nice one, brand new one. I said, wow, that's a nice car. And I saw it come up to the light, and I waited for them to turn over at the square here in Canfield. And I looked, and this person had a mask on in their own car. Meanwhile, I had my windows down. I had on some worship music. I was praising the Lord, thanking him for the fresh air. And I said, oh, my God, how sad. On a road with nobody there with a mask on. It's somewhere. That disease is somewhere. It's going to get me. It's in the air. It can go six feet, 27 feet, three miles. It's going to land and hit me right in the face. Hey! Arise, shine. Gross darkness has covered the earth, but the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and his light is come. So, no, we're not tempting. We're not even saying break the rules. But I am telling you to break your faith open. If all of this compression happens and the world comes out of it, if you come out of it, I can't preach to all the world, but I am preaching to you if you're listening. And I'm preaching to the next one you could speak to or somebody that you share it with. I don't care. But if we come out of all this compression, all this testing, and nothing has changed, do we need nine more plagues, nine more signs? Nine more wonders. A spirit of delusion is upon the earth. There's only one way to wash off the gook. It's repentance in the blood of Jesus.
And I'd love to tell you that it didn't land upon the hands and heads and feet of believers. Unfortunately, the church is ill. The bride isn't too comely. The white dress is stained, but not the blood stains of Jesus. It's very clear. I've been preaching it since 1980 that we were shifting into three categories within the body of Christ. Church of Laodicea. It's so simple. The hot, the lukewarm, and the cold. But there's only one temperature that he says he spits out of his mouth. Only one that cannot enter the portal of heaven. It's the lukewarm. The lukewarm. We have a body of Christ that's been too lukewarm. Too lukewarm. And I also want to say this one. I want to couch it with this beforehand. I pray for our president, myself and Herman Martyr, and, and then Mark Gonzalez are the founders of Poda Shield, and we still press forward to pray for the president of the United States and the vice president and the assignments that God has given, and we believe that. We believe he has assignments to accomplish. We believe he's been doing assignments. I'm not going to list those now. I'll do that in a, another address to Poda Shield, which, by the way, if you haven't enlisted, please do. It's so simple. You go to your telephone and text 313131. Type, put in your message, small case, POTUS Shield. One word, P-O-T-U-S-S-H-I-E-L-D. You'll get the alerts. And you'll get to decide if you want to come on or not. Listen. Yes, I support our president. Yes, the Lord had me prophesy and declare he would be president. Yes. The Lord had me prophesy and declare the assignments, some of which are done, some of which are coming. That's unquestionable. But now I have to give a different message, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I don't go through a swinging door in the White House. Because, you see, I don't have a personal ambition motivation. I'm not trying to build a ministry because of whom I'm affiliated with. Even if I tried, I don't think the Lord would allow me, and I just don't have that kind of personality. So what can I say? You get what you get. But this, what has happened with some zealous, ambitious people of faith? We became so happy with the radical transition from eight years of lawlessness and yes, we had law, law in our government, but it was lawlessness against God. And yes, it became even more difficult to talk about God and public factors. And yes, we got diluted. And yes, our White House got bathed in rainbow colors. And yes, all kind of things that were contrary to what we believe in our Judeo-Christian faith and things that some of us were praying for. Yes, all of that happened. But now the pendulum's gone too far. And we've turned here in this country... And in many other countries, it's the same way. We've turned our political and governmental system into a religion. 
We want to hear what the president has to say, and that's the new declaration. That's the new proclamation. Beloved, let me say something to you. God uses leaders, but President Donald Trump is not an oracle of God. Let me say it again. I'm going to wake you up. He is not an oracle of God. And so, somebody just came out, and you know if the shoe fits, wear it. Somebody just came out, and they made an excuse for why the coronavirus isn't going to be done by Easter or Passover, even though they said it, a couple of them. And so I call that safety net profits. They put out a safety net. Just in case the word doesn't come true, then I didn't give an erroneous prophecy. But you see, God, his word is true. God already knows about all of the other issues that will come in to try to block his word. In fact, every time there's a word of God, circumstances come in to try and resist it. But God is so great, if it's a true prophetic word, it's going to come true. You don't need a safety net. So I want you to understand something. When the president said, I believe this is going to be over with and we're going to go back to work around Easter, that sounded good. That's religious too, isn't it? Jesus, deliverance, Easter, resurrection, power, Passover, deliverance from a plague. Hey, that all sounds wonderful. The pieces began to fit rationally, but then the president said, well, that was an aspiration. And so then certain people said, it's the voices around him. They're changing what he's thinking and how he's talking. So he annulled what God was going to do. No, he's not an oracle of God. And the word of God cannot be annulled. And now I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. My record stands for itself. And it's not that I'm running or basing it on records or competing to anybody else. But call upon the Lord. Cry out to him. Ask him and he will answer you and tell you things, hidden things, great things that you do not know. This chaos will come to a conclusion, but that doesn't mean all chaos is over with. It doesn't mean it's the final chaos. In fact, I wish it were, but it's not. What else is coming? Read Matthew 24. Read Forbes of Revelation and Thessalonians. Read the prophets. Read Malachi chapter 4. The great day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord isn't a hoopy-doopy, we love Jesus. It's a tough time. But he says, the people that know me or know by my name, they will do great exploits, and I will keep them in peace. But the rest, I'm going to shake them hard. This will pass, but it won't be over. It's just the beginning of what's to come to prepare the way. We've had other shakings, but nobody really paid attention too much. We went right back to the way it was. It's interesting, you watch the news media, they say, we don't think everybody's going to go back to the way it used to be. And I say, I hope not. I pray not. And I said a tough prayer, and you can be mad at me if you want, because I believe I was led by the Lord. Lord, do not let this attitude of the heart stop too quickly. Forget about the money. Forget about the lifestyle. Forget about all of that. What about the heart? You can't just change externally. 
You have to change internally, a changing of the heart, a repentance. And so something very interesting happened. <laughs> As God was shaking Egypt, 30 days, 50 days, 7 months, I don't know. Nobody really does. Did they come right after another? Was there a short pause in between them? Am I saying to you we're going to have a whole bunch of different shakings in seven months? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm telling you we're going to have a whole lot of shakings. Because that's the Word of God. And that's the signs of the times. Something very interesting happened. It tells us in Exodus 8 that some of those Egyptians began to see that the word of Moses and that what was coming out was true, and they began to fear the word of Moses more than they did the Pharaoh. Which means they began to slip into the fear of the Lord. And so two things happened in God's grace and mercy. The children of Israel, they got stronger. They began to get stronger in their relationship with their God again because they had fallen weak in their relationship with God. My prayer is that the body of Christ is getting stronger in our relationship with God right now because you would be a liar if you didn't say we had fallen weak. Statistics tell you that. You know that. You know how many times you've gone to church in the last year or two. You know how many times you've really prayed with your children. You know how many times you've really spent the average Christian less than three minutes a day in prayer. Lord, bless my food. And a few other things. Probably because we eat too much. We're gorditos. We're fat. We eat a lot, so we pray when we eat. We're fat in the spirit, too. Just maybe with this time that we've got, we're praying more, and we should pray more, and we should make more time to pray and turn off the television with all the bad news and begin to pray for good news. Just maybe there's a change that will stick and stay with us. And so the Israelites... I don't know if they prayed more, but I know it wasn't just to cry out to God to deliver them anymore because he was in the process of delivering them. And they began to have somebody to follow. His name was Moses. And there was a priest called Aaron. And they began to see some function and form come in to their body. And they began to want to change, but they wanted to change to get free. But once they got free, they complained and murmured. And they actually wanted to go back because the way before was better. Beloved, what happens if the way before was better than what is coming? You're going to yearn to go back? Or are you going to cross over into the place of next? But something else happened, something very peculiar. Egyptians began to take their eyes off of Pharaoh. People began to take their eyes off the government. People began to take their eyes off a of president a premier, a king. The resources weren't enough. They don't work. And all of a sudden they said, we only have one way out of this. Moses, let's go. When is God going to do it? And God said, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep hardening Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to keep shaking. I'm going to keep getting your attention. I'm going to keep giving the world a chance. And Egyptians began to come out and go into the homes of their slaves and servants to get out of the plagues because the frogs weren't there. Hmm. They began to assimilate. 
And when Israel came out, Egyptians came out with them. Do you know that? Some of them said, Pharaoh, forget you. I'm going with them. I'm done with this. And they crossed over the sea. And Pharaoh and his military was destroyed. They attached to the ones of the promise. Beloved, the greatest opportunity you and I have, first of all, is for us and our families, and then to let people attach to us, to take them to the place where God wants them to go right now. Something else very interesting in the Word. I love how it got translated. It said the Lord told them to go to their Egyptian neighbors and ask them to borrow some jewels and silver. And Patty's laughing because we talked about this. But the real word isn't borrow, and it's the same word in Hebrew for borrow and lend and also to give. They basically were saying to these Egyptians that were trying to get the favor of God because of the favor upon the Israelites, they said, hey, pay up. We want treasures. We want silver. We want jewels. And in one sense, they plundered them. They took their stuff, and those who wanted to go with them went with them. And they went with the riches of the heathen. Let me say something to you. God has already stored up everything that you need and that he has for you. This is your opportunity to tap into your heavenly wealth. But you need to be those, us collectively, that say, Lord, here we are. We're ready to be delivered. Jesus, the deliverer. I'm going to close with this. It says in the scriptures, Jesus himself said, you had the law and the prophets, and then came John. And John came with this declaration, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. First, repent. Secondly, something's happening. Something's coming. Something very strange happened at that time. The religious people and those who weren't too religious and those who had strayed away and that generation that quit going to temple, they all of a sudden began to go to the Jordan River and begin to get baptized, not a baptism in Jesus Christ, not a baptism in the Holy Spirit, but an extension of the mitzvah of wash cleaning to come back out renewed and clean enough to be able to worship God. The whole purpose was to worship God and to believe God at the word of the prophet that a kingdom was coming. They didn't know when, they didn't know how soon. Most of them didn't even understand he was already born on the earth, just six months younger than Jesus himself. Beloved, he's coming soon. This isn't a preparation for 2050 and 3000. I'm not going to give you years and dates and times, but I'm telling you he's coming soon. I'm telling you that if you're hearing this voice, it's most likely you have the opportunity to be part of the generation to see the coming of the Lord. And we're called to prepare the kingdom. And so here's what we had. We had the law and the prophets and the law given to Moses. And he gave it to Moses after the great deliverance of the Exodus. They came out. Some Egyptians, some Israelites, some Jews, 
some Gentiles, they came out. And the law was given. The law didn't work. The prophets came out to prepare the way for what was coming in a new covenant. They had a different insight. They realized that God himself said, I'm going to circumcise. I'm going to do something new with the heart. I'm going to change hearts. I'm going to tear out fleshy hearts. I'm going to tear out the flesh from around hearts. Something's going to happen inside of people. We know it as the new covenant. The prophets began to get glimpses of it. They began to write of it. They got glimpses of the one who was coming. They got glimpses of the spirit that would come. The law and then the prophets. And then Jesus said, then came John. John had a very specific ministry. That law and the prophets went on a long time. John's was very short. I often show it this way. It's if you stretch your legs out this far, the law and the prophets. And it crosses over, and then here's John, one foot in the law and the prophets, and the other foot in a kingdom that he was proclaiming, but he didn't understand it fully. He didn't even know that the little boy he played with, his cousin, was the Savior. He was that close and didn't understand it. Huh? One foot in the new kingdom. And then we have the church age, and the new covenant age. And now the spirit of Elijah is crying out. And here we stand, one foot in the church age, and our other foot creeping into the kingdom age because the king is coming. And there's a message. And the message is to repent. The same one. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Except this time, repent. For the king is coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. I'd like to prepare for communion. I've asked Pastor Cheryl to come up to assist me. I want to thank my son-in-law who found me some challah bread. He said the there was bread on the shelves at the grocery store, and one of the things that was there was the challah bread. Not too many people wanted the challah. They wanted the Italian and the white bread and the rye bread and the other breads, but there was a challah bread just for you and I. Communion. Communion is a wonderful thing. It is fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is an opportunity to intimately have relationship with God. I don't want to leave you with a message of despair. Something inside of me from the moment the Lord showed himself to me because I cried out who are you I need you desperately <laughs> trying to freeze in the middle of the woods in Hubbard Ohio literally wanting to freeze to death and then Jesus showed himself and as the I am 
He began to speak to me and tell me things, hidden things that I did not know. Hidden things, great and awesome things that I didn't understand. I'm looking at Leanne because she wrote a song that way. One of the things he told me, he said, son, I've, I've made you for this time. And I began to preach a message similar to what I gave now, but even with more detail, and I dug them out. And my wife will tell you, people would look at me cross-eyed. Because there were other messages that were more popular, the faith message, the prosperity message, the gifts, the love, the supernatural. The... So many messages out there, so many, all good stuff. All good stuff. I like it all. I, I eat it all. But I've had this message. <laughs> I was born for it. I didn't have a choice. Sometimes I've asked them, why me? So I, there's something very strange going on inside of me, and I believe it is in some of you. We're, we're at one point, we're like saying, what's going on? And when's it going to end? And the other part of it says, wow, this is exciting. God's doing something, and God's using me, and he's using you. And he's given us the power and the gifts to be something special in such a time as this, maybe even as good a call, as great a call, maybe something even almost equal to the disciples who got to be with Jesus on earth. Here we are preparing the way for the coming of the king, and even they didn't know when he was coming back. They thought at first he would come very soon. Here we are. There's an excitement inside of us. I want you to draw on that excitement. Romans 8 says that God has put something inside of every person where the Spirit is calling out to the Spirit and deep is calling out to deep and the Spirit of God is searching deep into your spirit that He has created you for, for such a time as this. And yes, there's a compression going on. There's pressure. But out of that pressure is coming a gold. And a gold that is called an overcomer. I did a whole series some years back on the overcomer, the makings of an overcomer. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Well, guess what? The testimony of how you came to Jesus isn't going to overcome the plague today. It's a testimony that has the declaration and the oracles of God. Don't do as a speechwriter just did for the president. He's a good man. He didn't understand it. Somebody took a few words out of context. They didn't know what they were saying. I just about know who it was. I know who probably wrote that speech. And he gave it. He read it. He didn't even give it with excitement and zeal. What he says is that we are proving. We are proving that we can overcome by the eternal light of our courage. What did that mean? Somebody grabbed some stuff that sounded good out of the gospel. I believe the guy who wrote it's not even a Christian, if that's who I think it is. It's okay. What did it mean? Nothing. Those words aren't going to do anything for you. But Jesus said, I am the light of the Lord. And whomsoever calls upon my name and follows me, they shall have eternal life. It's not the courage of an American population proving eternal light. <laughs> that's not your religion. That's not your faith. That's not your priest. It's Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, 
Or you say, you know what, Pastor, you hit me right over the head with a two-by-four. Well, that's happened many times in my life. It's a good knock. You say, you know what, I want to get in close. And I want to stay close. I want to quit playing religion. I want to quit saying I'm not sure what I believe and I want to quit being so tolerant that I'll just believe and wish well on what everybody else wants to believe. That sounds good, but you're wishing well on them right into hell. Not so good. I remember once what Billy Graham said. He said, there's no unbelievers in hell. They finally believe. So many stories and testimonies of people on their deathbed who denounced the bad things they did. Theories that they gave, people that they misled because they begin to see the light in God's grace and mercy. If that's you, and I'm not saying you're one of the ones on your deathbed, I'm saying if your heart says, I want to get back with God. I want to get closer with God, even if you think you're close. Lord, if I need some more circumcision, do it in my heart. Cut it out. I learned something medically in the last two weeks. I overheard a doctor, a very smart doctor, telling a friend of mine, well, you had this procedure 12 years ago, and they tend to only last 10 to 12 years and then you have to do another intervention in the heart and you're at that time and I said wow we're at that time as the body of Christ we need another intervention in our heart we need to have our hearts circumcised maybe again maybe more we need to not be so arrogant that we think not me. So would you say this prayer with me? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I'm feeling the anointing, if you have someone dear to you, family member, child, neighbor, somebody close, call upon the Lord, cry out to Him right now for their redemption. Say a prayer for them. I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for my cousin Cindy and a few others who were praying for my soul when I was lost. God heard. God heard. God hears your cry. Cry out to me. Call upon me. And I will answer you. Say this prayer with me, please. Father, I believe that you're God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I believe that you came, Jesus, into this world as man born of the Virgin Mary. You were sinless, but yet you became sin on the cross that I might become the righteousness of God in you. You committed no crime, but you took my crime. You took our crimes. You died on that cross. 
a physical death, but also a spiritual one. You died the spiritual death. I should have died. You paid the price on the cross. And for my sins, because the wages of sin is death, there's no escaping it. You descended into hell. And you were risen from hell by the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Father. You resurrected. You're seen on earth again, and then you ascended to your throne room with the Father. And you're coming back. And it's by your blood, as the Lamb of God, that my sins are forgiven. Father, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Father. Forgive the backslider. Forgive me, Father, for the times that I should cry out louder and don't. Forgive us, Lord, for the misuse of our time before you. Forgive us, Father, that we haven't been the mothers and fathers we should be with our children. So many children shut up, Lord. They'll never forget this time and moment even as the children that came out of Egypt never forgot the Passover angel. Might the hearts of fathers and mothers not just be committed to homeschooling on computers, but to taking time with children to teach them the ways of God Maybe to learn them together with them, reading some Bible, some prayer. Thank you, Lord, that children just light up with you. They have to be taught to disrespect you. And Father, forgive us for our school systems and our public school systems for the most part, who, and our universities who teach our children to disrespect you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us our sins of commission and our sins of omission, oh God. Father, forgive us. Jesus, you're our Lord. Teach us, Father, how to submit to our Lord in every facet of our life. How to surrender on Palm Sunday with our palms up. <laughs> Praising. Bowing. Worshiping. Father, forgive us. Jesus, redeem us. Thank you that you save us from our sins and you give us eternal life. But thank you, Jesus, that you deliver us from the darkness and oppressions that are upon the world and that are coming upon the world. Teach us to overcome, O oh Lord. We need to overcome, Father. Teach us to gird up strong. Teach us to be resilient. Put us on fire, Lord. Yes, God. 
boil the lukewarm, oh God. And take the cold. Put them in your microwave of the Holy Spirit fire, Father. Turn it up high. Melt the flesh. Let the Spirit burn true and on fire and alive. And so, at the Passover, the Pesach, which we'll be celebrating, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. That wasn't new. Have to forgive me. I'm a crier. You punch me in the nose, I won't cry. But boy, when Jesus touches my heart, I cry like a baby. Jim Minney ran me over with a tractor yesterday. I had this streak on my arm. I didn't cry. I am a bull. Praise God. But I'm a softy when it comes to Jesus. He took that bread and he broke it. He passed it to his right and to his left. To me, that shows us the body of Christ. He didn't say, you take and then pass it to that one and to that one. He said, take and share it. And we are the body of Christ. This not only is in reference to his body, but this is in reference to the body of Christ. And my prayer as we take this communion is that we come broken broken not broken in despair broken in humility repentance hunger thirst panting even as a deer pants for the water broken yes this reminds us of his body but this is the body that is broken for you and I he's off the cross thank God We don't worship a Jesus on the cross. We worship a Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father. And I want you to know something else. Get this in your mind. Get this visual because I got it a while ago, a long time ago. When I sin, when I cross, when I fall short, I see a tear come out of the eye of Jesus. And I hear those words that Paul said, stop sinning as if you crucify him again. That's the word to the church with the pause right now. Stop sinning as if we crucify him again. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And so we take of the bread. We say, Jesus, we love you. Oh, if we could only love you as much as you love us. If only we could feel the heart pain of brokenness like you feel it and felt it. If only we could have the vision that you have. Let's take and eat. Something very interesting. For years,
in the early church. And before that, at Passover, they would take the cup filled with wine and they would put their finger in it and let there be a drop, one drop, two drops, three drops, ten drops, one for each one of the plagues to feel the pain, to not rejoice at the destruction of their enemy, but to feel the pain of those that were lost, and to feel the pain of the judgment. Today as we take the cup, yes, we celebrate the blood of Jesus and the victory. But he gave his blood with much pain, much suffering. But when it was all done, when he had finished, he took his blood to that heavenly place. You know what it says now in Hebrews? It's the ministry of the sprinkling. said, I won't drink of this cup again until I'm with you, but I'm going to sprinkle the blood on the altar for you. He's our way. He is the light. So he said, as often as you will, take and drink of this in remembrance of me and my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. Let's take. Now this, I promised you, thank you, Pastor Cheryl, I promised you that I wouldn't leave with a message of doom and gloom. In the midst of all of the despair, not just for Passover, but throughout the history of the Word of God, Jesus has compassion. Not only for the one that's following God, but the sinner equally. Compassion and grace and love that's beyond anything that we can comprehend. He's an awesome God. He's a mighty God. He's a great shepherd. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a provider. He's a comforter. Hmm. So here's the good news. Snuggle up to the Lord Snuggle up to the Word of God. Snuggle up to open conversation with Him like you've never had. 
And I can promise you this, the cares of this world will become less and less, and the joy of the Lord will rise up. And a peace that passes all understanding enters your soul, invades you. Isaiah said that the mind that stayed on you is kept in perfect peace. So you have a choice. What are you going to put your mind and your energy and your time into? For me and my house, I want to serve the Lord.